welcome to Millennial Pagan Podcast. I'm your host, Autumn Wolf. And I'm Jarrah Stone. And we are here with Jonathan from a uh, lovely little uh, conference organization called Between the Veils. Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Good, good. So Jonathan is uh, based out of L.A., is that correct? I am in Los Angeles, yeah. Nice. How's, how's the weather out there right now? You know what? I have only been outside for just a moment. It's actually pretty nice right now. It's not too hot. I'm sure it will get hot later, though. It's that time of year that us Phoenicians ask everybody else how nice their weather is. <laughs> we need to live vicariously through everybody else. Yes. I'm a wimp for heat. If it's, like, hotter than 74, I'm, like, melting. Ooh, yeah. Definitely out here in Arizona, that would that would probably be a, be a bad thing. Uh, I've been to Arizona two or three times, and each time was just like, how can you survive this? I would die. We don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet, do we keep doing it? <laughs> so how have you been, Autumn? Pretty good. I finally get to finish my arm piece this weekend. Yes. Nice. It's been a two-year adventure for all of our long-term listeners, so I'm excited to finally be done with this one piece. Once you're done with one piece, you're ready for the next one. Mm -hmm. I've been ready for about two years, and I still haven't been able to get one yet. We know. (laughs) How about you, Jonathan? Um, How are you doing? Good. I am also waiting to get a piece of my, <laughs> my seventh piece. This is supposed to be a full sleeve, mm-hmm. or at least, at least up to my elbow, but it has taken some time because my artist lives in Hawaii and we have not been able to meet for the last 14 months. <laughs> and yep, I thought my artist two hour drive north was uh, hard. Yeah. <laughs> Hawaii. Oof. <laughs> Oh, I I am exhausted. I actually did a music video shoot yesterday. Day one of two. So my arm is killing me from flying my uh, keytar all over the place. Which I called a harpsichord earlier today. (laughs) I forgot what it was. I'm not much of a musician, but I still know that a harpsichord is not a (laughs) keytar. No, it's not. They're definitely not the same thing. So your event or the event that you work with a bunch of other people for Between the Veils just had its second online, first online, yay, event. And from what I saw, I unfortunately was working while it was going on. But what I saw, it looked really well organized and really well done. But before we dive in talking about Between the Veils and how it came to be and what it's going to turn into, how about we ask, would you like to share your coming of witch story? Yeah, I'd love to. I love talking about how I got into (laughs) magic. It is one of my favorite topics. And I love to hear other people talking about their stories as well. So I grew up Catholic, and as many people, I think it's interesting that a lot of people in the magical community also grew up Catholic. I think in part because Catholicism is such a huge religion, there's like Mm -hmm. so many Catholics out there. But I was thinking about the fact that Catholicism is also very magical in its own way and practices rituals and is in tune with cycles of the year, which is all very pagan and very wicked in many ways. So I 
personally didn't have like the super traumatic experience a lot of Catholics have had. I, I really liked it and I wanted to be a priest. And I think it's because I wanted to be a priest so badly that I turned to magic really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier to get on that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like the thing that attracted me to it was the ritual aspect of the priest and in particular, like the moments of transubstantiation and the moments of like being that channel and that center for the divine working through. So that is a thing that I was really into as an eight year old. That was like, I'm going to be a priest. Y'all that sounds good to me. I want to wear robes. <laughs> I guess that was also pretty gay then too. <laughs> so I don't know if your church had this, but when I was eight, for our first Holy Communion, we also had to crown the Virgin Mary. And like they pick a girl to do that. And then there was something about Jesus, but because that was a boy's job, I didn't pay attention. And I was the one who was picked to crown the Virgin Mary. And being up on the altar and being a part of religion for the first time really kind of spoke to me at that time. So I think I'm hearing you and I'm like, I, I had that moment too. <laughs> Yeah, I love the May crowning. Oh, mm-hmm. the May crowning is like fantastic. You pray the whole rosary. Everybody like has flowers and you sing and it's all like very merry and goddess centered. I love that kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Quite clearly, we all do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So around when I was like 13, when it was when I was like, yeah, this sort of like doing magical acts like really appeals to me. I want to learn more about that. So that's when I started to dive into Wicca and actually a teacher of mine, like my English teacher was at Wiccan and we would talk about that. And so that's, and I just like dived into Wicca. My first exposure to um, literature was Silver Ravenwolf. She's a great beginning. Exactly. <laughs> she was great as my first, although I did buy like five of her books. Um, and I read all of them, but got really into Wicca. But I was still pretty young. My mom was like cool with me, like, you know, burning all of the whatever I could in my bedroom, <laughs> reading all the books that I wanted, buying herbs and throwing them at people. <laughs> Sometimes preferably while they're burning. Right. <laughs> Is it a salt or a rosemary? <laughs> <laughs> and then at one point I was still like trying to be Catholic and trying to be Wiccan at the same time. I was like, I could do this. God's cool with it. And then I got to this point where like, I think it would be better if I prayed to some other gods too. I don't think God's going to be that mad because God is like, you know, it's just an aspect of God, and that's sort of when the un- the crumbling of my Catholic faith started to happen, and I then went on a spiritual journey that has continued to this day of studying a variety of religions. Today, I would call myself, today I'm a Unitarian Universalist, I'm pretty big in the Unitarian faith tradition, studying to become a minister and I am a Thelemite and ceremonial magician. Around my mid-20s, early to mid-20s, I was like, okay, so I did Wicca for a while. That was fine. Not super my thing right now. I'm a Unitarian, but that's not magical enough. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm, I was at this sort of crossroads. I'm either going to 
dive really deeply into Asatru and runes and that sort of heathen tradition, or I'm going to jump really hard into ceremonial magic, Golden Dawn flavored, and Thelema. And that was the decision I made. That was the direction I chose to go, particularly because of my upbringing in Catholicism and studying that sort of side of what could be called Western religious tradition sort of blended well with the Western mystery and hermetic tradition, I think, in a pretty easy way. I like that. Yeah. Now, there was a word in there that I didn't quite understand. Thelemite? Mm-hmm. Oh, Thelema is the Thelema. Uh, yeah. Thelema is the tradition of Aleister Crowley. Okay. <laughs> so Thelema means will in loosely means will. There's a lot of words that Aleister Crowley used that Thelemites use today that are like yeah, it means this thing in whatever language, and like sometimes it does. Sometimes it's sort of a poetic paraphrasing that he's going for. In particular, the translation that he uses for like some of the ancient Egyptian is sort of poetic paraphrasing that is just based on bad translations from the people who were the Egyptian scholars at the time. Okay. Yeah, so Thelema, it means will. Essentially, the way that I like to think about Thelema as a practice and tradition is that everyone has a divine spark, a divine light within us. Um, in our holy book, the Book of the Law, there is a line, every man and every woman is a star. It is super gender outdated, but uh, it was written in 1904. And the way that I see it is that, so we all have this divine spark, this light, or this star in us, what we call the cobs. And our life's work is to figure out what that god power is what that divine power is and then once we figure that out then it is our will to carry out that divine spark that god power and then once we start figuring that out we then sort of move into what we call the universal current or the universal will which is love or agape so ideally everything should be Working in its place, you are doing something that makes you feel good and making humanity better. I like that. So what would you say, like, what's your your daily magical practice? Thelemites have uh, a number of daily magical practices. There are Thelemites who practice with the OTO, the Order Templi Orientis, or the AA. I am not in either of those organizations. I'm in the Temple of Thelema. So we do a... Thelema and Golden Dawn sort of blending of traditions. So we do a little bit of both, some of the traditions that the Golden Dawn created and carried on and some of the Thelema-specific ones. So daily practices would include what is called Liber Resh, which is like the Thelemic sun salutations at noon, dawn, dusk, and midnight. You center yourself at a, you know, whatever cardinal point and just adore the sun, align yourself and your energies with the sun, which is our nearest star and what represents, you know, who we are and and that divine being and that divine spark in us. The pentagram rituals, the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram and the lesser invoking ritual of the pentagram are two big daily practices. 
One of my teachers likens that to that is your daily spiritual bath, that you are cleansing yourself of energies, banishing any energies, negative thoughts, and bringing in some good energies, invoking those elemental forces. Those are some pretty baseline daily practices. Ideally, you would do what's called rush daily, four times a day. I know plenty of people that don't, but when you do it, it's like really nice. It's a, it's a really good adoration. It's like doing a sun salutation. I like that. So I see a lovely painting of, I believe, Hoth behind you. This is um, Thoth. Yeah, so I'm actually house-sitting right now. Oh, okay. I'm house-sitting for my teacher, one of my teachers, oh. actually. So. And I believe his partner painted this. So Thoth or Tehuti is really important in Thelema and in Egyptology as well. Thelema does have some sort of connections to Egyptian religion and Egyptian history and culture. In some ways, I try to downplay that a little bit personally. Not that I don't like Egyptian religion or the Egyptian gods or Kemeticism. It's just not what super draws me in. But I do like Thoth, the god of writing and magic and, you know, everything that the magician card in the tarot represents. (laughs) Is there any particular deities that you do work with at this time? So in Thelema are three... Like three biggest Thelemic deities are Nuit, Hadit, and Rahorkuit. And Rahorkuit has a secret deity that lives inside him called Horparkrat. <laughs> so Nuit is the goddess of the universe. If you've ever read the Book of the Law, chapter one, that is her book. She is super awesome. She is very sweet. And all she wants to do is share our joy and give our joy and... There are a lot of lines in there that are like all about love and union. So like one of the lines is, I am divided for love's sake for the chance of union. So, and part of this idea is that we're all connected. We're all connected to each other, to the universe. And when we keep trying to separate ourselves, that is when, that is when harm actually starts to happen. That's where discrimination comes from, where violence starts to occur for thereby cometh hurt is another line in there. And one of the lines that I really love is take your fill of will and love when, where, and with whom ye will, but always unto me, always unto the goddess of the universe, Nuit. She's usually depicted as Nut, the Egyptian goddess. Her body is just like the vault of the heavens. She's usually depicted as like purple, pink, or like dark blue with like flecks of stars. Her breasts are these like swirling galaxies. Love her. Love her to pieces. I have a (laughs) tattoo that is her symbol. Oh, that's nice. A pentagram, a five-pointed star with a circle in the middle, and the circle is red. That's literally what it says in the Book of the Law. My symbol is the five-pointed star with a circle in the middle, and the circle is red. I love it. She's like, I'm very specific. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's done. (laughs) Very specific, clear cut, and anybody can get this tattooed on their body. No questions asked. We're good. (laughs) I love a girl who knows what she wants and what she likes. She knows what she wants and she wants your joy. My joy is to see your joy. It's a very mom thing, too. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when they think of Thelema and they think of Aleister Crowley in particular, they think of this like 
heroin addict, for one thing, um, <laughs> oh. or they think of the wickedest man in the world, mm-hmm. which, like, he, he was problematic in very many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, he was super selfish. He tried to take advantage of a lot of people. I get it. Like, he was a problem. And the religion that he, in some ways, channeled, that he, in some ways, created... I think is super beautiful and the way that I and many people, especially the people that I practice with approach Thelema is in a way of love and union with others and supporting each other in our will and in all of our practices. Will is doing your true will. It's not always magical centered. It's, you know, for some people, their true will is to teach which could mean being a teacher. It could mean just doing some sort of educating people in some way. Some people's will is to, you know, be of service, however that might look. Being a janitor is doing your true will. And you can practice Thelema and be a Thelemite without ever having done any magical practices. You're just doing right by each other, I think is the the main idea. Nice. Yeah. What current religion doesn't have a man behind it that is questionable or problematic. So it doesn't (laughs) diminish the religion or even the practitioners today. I mean, as all of us being former Catholics, we know that Catholicism has plenty of troubling men and a lot of them are founders or major points. So. Which reminds me, I need to put another tally mark in my, uh, I used to be a Catholic for this show. <laughs> we need like a book and people who used to be a Catholic are on MPP. <laughs> I think that would be a really interesting, you know, short story or essay anthology of like current or modern day Wiccans, pagans, magical practitioners who used to be Catholic and what that means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read can't remember what book it was, but it was when I was a kid. No, maybe it was a sociology book. So I read a lot of not just pagan published books, but also sociology books on paganism or new age religion in general. And I think one of those talked about the amount of Catholics and exactly what you said, Catholicism is magical. They want to take that, but then there's something wrong in Catholicism that they can't rectify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my major one was that there was no feminine to the male deity. There wasn't an equal. So I had to walk away. But yeah. You know, I had an, a, that conversation with a teacher of mine who is very Catholic, but also very liberal about it. And I was like, yeah, you know, the divine feminine. And she was like, well, A, there's Mary. Mm-hmm. And B, the Holy Spirit was the divine feminine. The Holy Spirit is, like, that is what comes upon us as the Divine Feminine. But that has been diminished Mm -hmm. over the years. And in the original Aramaic, God was not male. In Aramaic, God was non-binary. And that was how Jesus originally talked about God in this, you know, mother-father sort of sense. You gotta love those uh, biased translations. Mm-hmm. Yep, that whole book. <laughs> yeah. 
I've had so many conversations with Catholics, Christians, just saying, hey, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of mistranslation in there, and uh, a lot of it was paid to be so. Yeah. Well, I think before we get off on our own little soapboxes <laughs> or anything else, how about we take a short break and then we will dive into the organization that is Between the Veil. Awesome. Millennial Pagan Podcast is exclusively supported by Patreon. Listeners like you can get great benefits from your favorite show, such as... At $1 a month, you get a personalized shout-out at the end of the next full-length episode. At $5 a month, you receive a thank-you card in the mail with a Millennial Pagan Podcast button and sticker enclosed. Additionally, $5 a month supporters have access to our monthly 30-minute minisodes. Patreon supporters are also the first to learn about new and exciting updates to Millennial Pagan Podcast. More benefits and exclusive content to come. Audio is provided by Goblin Tech Productions. And we are back here on Millennial Pagan Podcast with Jonathan from Between the Veils. And uh, I know we, we were doing a little bit of talking uh, during the break about pendulum stuff. I love that uh, we had those stories to actually talk about. Those are going to be in, in some sort of file somewhere, but we can talk about those later. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think it's fun to like get around and like talk about like some successful magical acts stories. Oh, yeah. You know, like when mm-hmm. the animation went really well, but even you know when it didn't go well, but it still was accurate. Those are the worst, mm-hmm. but the fun ones. Those are good. Yep, as opposed to the the dawning of the um, clue by four. Yes, magic smacks you in the face with that. Yeah. All right. So now that we're back from break, let's talk a little bit about Between the Veils. For anybody who doesn't know, what is Between the Veils? So Between the Veils, we are a nonprofit organization. Our goal was to rise out of the remnants or the ashes. We are the phoenix that is rising from what became of Pantheacon. If you're unfamiliar with Pantheacon, it was a very long running, I think about 30 year conference for pagans, Wiccans, magical practitioners. I went for the last two years, and I'd heard about it for a long time, but never got around to going. And it was a great conference. I met a lot of really wonderful people. That's how I got involved with Between the Veils. There was some great like work and study and learning that was done there. It also had a few issues that I think were being overlooked or just not addressed for quite some time, including things like not supporting the marginalized communities or marginalized people that attended that conference annually, including people of color, queer folks, and trans folks, not addressing the rampant cultural appropriation in our community. So those are some things that we want to not only address, but also like center our conversation of being a magical community around having those conversations and being honest with each other and open and to start looking at our own practices and traditions in a way that is centering the voices of marginalized people and recognizing 
hey, this might be some cultural appropriation. Let's talk about how we can do this better. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. if this is something we can't do without for one reason or another, how we can remedy the situation, how we can support diaspora traditions that we might be borrowing or stealing from and supporting the people that, you know, those cultures belong to. That's really important for us. So our goal is we wanted to create a new con that was going to take place over the same weekend, President's Day weekend. Our goal is to have the first in-person live conference to take place during that weekend in probably the same hotel in San Jose. It was the airport Doubletree, not an amazing hotel, but sort of (laughs) central focus. That's where everything happened. Everybody knew that hotel really well, but we are looking at other options also. Mm -hmm. It's also an affordable hotel, even during the con, because I remember the last PantheaCon, I was dabbling about the idea of going and I was this close to paying for it and realized that really wasn't within my budget, but it was budgetable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a super expensive hotel. One of my issues with it is it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Like it's mm-hmm. near the airport. There's not a lot of restaurants nearby and the restaurants in the hotel are like not super great. I mm-hmm. had the luxury of having friends in the San Jose area who I could <laughs> stay with. So I would like Uber from their apartment to the hotel every day. And that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that we had talked in the past about the general issues that have been going on with PantheaCon and kind of the reasons why it was not a thing anymore. So I'm, I'm actually glad that something is coming out of that space that is inclusive, that is very thoughtful to those marginalized communities. It, yeah. yeah, it's filling that void that was left. Yeah, that whole for not only the local community in San Jose, California, but the national and international. Yeah, PantheaCon. I mean, as far as I'm aware, it was one of the first, like, conferences that really kicks off the festival season or the conference season, Mm -hmm. especially in the magical community. You know, there are other conferences that would happen right around then or shortly after. So it was, you know, it was a big deal for a lot of people, especially there's a lot of California pagans and Wiccans, and this is where they would get together. Me being from Los Angeles, I was like, you know, it was a bit of a travel for me. But it was, you know, a lot of fun. And so we wanted that back. And so one of the things that we are doing with Between the Veils that's a little bit different is we have made it a goal to have at least 40% of our presenters at a con being people of color, particularly, you know, particularly women of color. We want to make sure that there is queer representation. Our board is actually, we have seven board members right now. We're looking for more. If anybody's interested, please reach out. (laughs) So seven people, four of them are trans or genderqueer. Most of us are queer in some way. I'm a queer man. Three of us are people of color. We come from a variety of traditions and a variety of, you know, cultural and social positions in our lives. So we are trying to be as diverse as possible. We've also got some, we also have our People of Color Advisory Committee. We have a number of other committees that people can get involved in. I know that that's something we're going to talk about at the end, but just wanted to throw that out now. (laughs) No, of course. So you just had the first online event. How did that go? 
it was great. I'm really, really pleased with how it went. I know that we are, we're super new still, so not a lot of people have heard of us yet. So we're still sort of figuring out how we're advertising, you know, through Facebook and other social media. We haven't done any like direct mailers or anything like that, but we had a nice group of people, a couple hundred people came and did all of the workshops. If you are somebody that registered and you didn't get to go do all the workshops, we're going to have all of the recordings made available online. And soon we will have all the recordings available to the public. So we want to give the folks that registered for the, for the event a little bit of exclusivity first, and then we're going to release that to everybody. So <laughs> they, people can enjoy. We want we want to be as inclusive as possible while also recognizing we need to make some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was fantastic. We, we did a, a really lovely opening ritual where we partnered with Reclaiming, who was one of our partner organizations throughout the beginning of our work. They were our corporate sponsor until we were able to get off our feet. Starhawk was one of our keynote speakers. Um, she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Luna Pantera, if you are not familiar with her, is a wonderful speaker. She was our Friday night keynote. So she opened our conference. She is an amazing, amazing black woman. One of the most fantastic ancestor workers you're ever going to meet, a fantastic tarot reader and practitioner. She's just amazing. Can't stress her enough. We had a great slate of workshops going on that ranged from one of the workshops was You Are Not a Celtic Shaman, which was excellent. Unfortunately, that one was not (laughs) recorded. So you have to have shown up for that to have heard it. I got all excited for a minute. I was like, that's something I would want to watch. Yeah, and we really tried, because we were online this year, we were able to bring in a lot of international folks. So that one was by Laura O'Brien, who's in Ireland, her partner, Jonathan O'Sullivan, also did a great workshop on toxic masculinity, especially in pagan and Wiccan communities. That one also not recorded. I can see your head nodding. (laughs) Killing me, small. And then we had a, a really wonderful woman in India, Charuleka, who had an amazing, like life-changing workshop, which was recorded on divine feminine and matriarchal traditions in India and matrilineal traditions. It was that was fantastic. So we, I mean, it was a lot. I can't stress enough how amazing and quality all of our workshops were. We had a great conference manager who kept us on task, who made sure that all of the links were going out when they needed to go out. We had a great vendor room. Our treasurer created a gather town vendor room and reader room. Nice. Yeah, I saw the link to that and saw that competition of finding things in the gather room and then going to find nameless. And I was just like, that is so cool that not only is there enough Internet space, I guess, is the best way to phrase it for the vendor room to be there and like look like it exists in real, but to also have a a scavenger hunt going on at the same time. Yeah, that was a pretty big deal. That took Nameless about two, two, three weeks to build that out. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, and they hid the gold coins. If you found all the gold coins and you won an actual Dogecoin. Wow. Yeah, and then we had uh, we had after parties going on. So if anybody is familiar with Clifford Lowe, he is a sorcerer. He also would run 
absinthe parties at PantheaCon. So at Between the Veils, he ran a great, really fun absinthe Zoom party. So he was like, <laughs> about the history of absinthe and how to drink it and why you drink it. And it was just fun. It was fun to do even an online hangout, like, you know, Zoom conference room hangout was still a lot of fun and like still fed that need for community. It's not quite mm-hmm. the same. I'm a very, like, you know, being a, I know that a lot of people are adapting and doing rituals online these days. I personally am like a, no, I need to be in physical presence with other people. Oh, kind yeah. Of mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I feel you yeah. on that 100%. That's something that I've been missing for the past 14, 15 months already. And luckily, uh, we just found out that our reclaiming group that I'm a part of out here in Arizona, we're actually going to be having our first ritual again in September. So I'm... Very excited, but it's still too far away. Yeah. <laughs> so Mabin's going to be the first one back? Yes, Mabin's going to be the first one back. Which makes sense. <laughs> yeah, we don't want anybody to melt out here in the, in the desert heat. No. That reclaiming group there, Lugnasa, is like a water game kind of thing. Since it's the games for Lug's mother, it's something to do with water. So we've had like water wars. We've done things in pools before, but it's never really like a structured ritual. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense that they're skipping that yeah. this time. <laughs> Actually, I was going to say the ones that weren't recorded, those are mm-hmm. just actually great opportunities for, especially for the next con to maybe have those again and kind of like a different type of structure for people who did miss it the first time. Or even a part two. Like part two, yeah. Those particularly are really important messages Mm -hmm. for us Mm -hmm. that we need to hear throughout this community, throughout the pagan and magical and Wiccan community. Like talking about just the word shamanism is so loaded. There's so much to unpack with how we use that word, the way we use that word. Mm-hmm. Talking about toxic masculinity in our community is, oh my God, so important. Mm-hmm. This is something that I think goes under talked about, especially in our community, is toxic masculinity. You know, anybody has probably seen the memes about the like super woke sexist guy or the super woke creep <laughs> who is like, oh, but I believe in your sexual liberation. Just show me your tits. Like, right. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. centering consent in how we interact with one another is a big part of how we can decrease that vile, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. that goes on. Yes. In our oh, yeah. Then we have that flip of, I guess, I don't want to say toxic femininity, but we do have like something similar to it in our community where it's almost too much. Like we go one direction all the way. Yeah. Or that could also lead to turfdom, trans exclusive mm-hmm. feminism, which one of our board members has a really hard story about that participating in a space that was supposed to be. You know, I, th- I think part of his trans journey also was, you know, participating in spaces that were femme-centered. And then when he came out, it was just like, oh, no, you're done. You no longer have a vagina because you are now a man. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you, you no longer feel the mysteries of the goddess in the same way. And that sucks. That's just super sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that is their experience growing up still. Mm-hmm. Don't you can't 
Ah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it is a very yeah. difficult subject, but it's definitely something that does need to be talked about in this, in this community. And then not accepting trans women into women's space. It's like women and trans men still need women's spaces mm-hmm. and still need these spaces where they can feel around the sisterhood. It's still a necessary part. Ah. Yeah, I am of a mind where, you know, I, I believe that we can all practice together. We all are one in the family of the divine and of magical community. And at the same time, we also need to, you know, we need to stretch and understand how identity works and, you know, particularly how our mundane identities, I'm a queer man of color, and I need to have POC spaces sometimes. I need those people of color spaces where I can recharge and reset and I can go and complain to my siblings and be like, let me tell you about some white nonsense that's happening out here right now. Or, you know, talking with other queer folks about like what it's like to belong to a tradition, a religious and spiritual tradition that centers fertility in a way that, you know, Gerald Gardner was like, queers are cursed by the goddess because they can't have children. It's not how that works. Sorry, Gerald, but you mm-hmm. lost that one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having those spaces at your conference, not only for safe spaces for people of color, but also the spaces where white people can sit and listen and hear those things and learn and having that an important part of your conference, I think, is going to be just an amazing change for our entire community. Yeah. One of the things we did, so Pantheacon had held people of color caucuses, which is a really important space for folks of color to get together and talk about identity, talk about how the community is affecting them, talking about how we can support one another. That's a really big deal. It is something that not a lot of spaces do, and it's a way that we are actively supporting one another. One thing that Between the Veils is also doing is also holding a White Allies Caucus or a White Allies space as well. So this year was the first time we did that. We had some really amazing facilitators who were good friends of mine, Unitarian ministers and facilitators and magical practitioners themselves. And we need to have those conversations in those spaces as well. I've personally never been to a White Allies Caucus because that's not my space. But, you know, white folks need to talk to each other about what they need to do. White folks need to talk to each other about how to disrupt cultural appropriation, how to be more supportive and inclusive. And that goes the same with, you know, we could talk about that from any position of a privileged person. I myself am a Mm -hmm. cis man talking about how we are more inclusive to trans, genderqueer, non-binary folks, how we are looking at our spiritual traditions in a way that is gender exclusive and how we can talk about being gender inclusive. One thing for me, because of my tradition with the Golden Dawn and Thelema, which are both very binary, there is a lot of, you know, every man and every woman is a star that's super binary. The Kabbalistic tree of life is very, you know, there's the the pillar of force and the pillar of form, which are very masculine and feminine. How are we incorporating that divine 
androgynous or the divine intersex. I try not to use the the H word of the combination of Hermes and Aphrodite's. I know that has some divine energy in and of itself, but some folks do not like it. Some folks who are intersex are like, yeah, I use that word. That's great. I love it. And in many tarot traditions, we use that word. I still use intersex because it's inclusive in modern parlance. Mm -hmm. But how are we being inclusive? How are we looking at the divine in a way that is accessible to all people? Yeah. I love it already. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to go. Just because it does sound like it's something that I know a lot of people have been looking for. And especially, I mean, like, like we said before, it's it's filling this void that PantheaCon has left for a lot of people. But now there's going to be a lot more inclusivity for people who missed out and unfortunately were left out. Yeah. It's highlighting a lot of the things that I think the whole world went through this past year that got lights shined on. And you're really taking this opportunity to build something out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Luna Pantera, who uh, I brought up earlier as our keynote, mm-hmm. I do a lot of activism and, you know, I'm very interested in justice as a spiritual work. But she was like, your ancestors are calling you out. You know, you have to call your cousins. This is work that needs to be done. It is spiritual in that it is, it is work that must lead to liberation for all people. So... After having the event virtual, what are some things that you learned and are excited to incorporate in the live or in person? Yeah, I think one of the big things to take away is like patience, that it's not going to just be perfect all at once or all at the beginning. We had, you know, we planned on about 500 people to attend. We had about 250, which I'm very happy with. That was a great number. You know, people are are still hearing about us. Some people are still very nervous about who we are and what we're doing, especially because of that history with, you know, harm from PantheaCon. So we are doing our best to be as supportive as possible to people. We are doing our best to, you know, fix any mistakes in the way that we can. I think having a lot of really good programming is really important. That is something that's super huge for me. I have a background coming from doing conference organizing for the Unitarian Universalist Church, especially out here in California. So that's sort of like the experience that I'm bringing to this, you know, and just have fun. You just got to like, let it be just do when spirit says do. And you just got to like, go with the flow sometimes. Mistakes are going to happen. You do your best to not let them happen. But as I said, embrace grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think we've gotten to the point of our program where we will start wrapping up. Of course, Jonathan, first and foremost, what are some things that you want to tell people as far as how to find you guys, how to get involved? What kind of things are you guys looking for for next year? If somebody's listening, go, I want to get involved or I want to talk or I want to make sure I can go. What are those things? Absolutely. So first thing, our website is betweentheveils.org. So that is B-E-T-W-E-E-N-T-H-E-V-E-I-L-S dot org. That will take you to our website. 
If you want to email us, we are between the veils con at gmail.com. Yes, that is our email address. Between the veils con <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> I don't do a lot of the like social media stuff. I'm mostly like a I want to keep us on task, and these are some things I think we need to work on kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the president of Between the Veils. I don't think I said that. I don't like saying that because then everyone, <laughs> like, if anything goes wrong, I'm the one that gets blamed. Mm-hmm. And it's usually not even my fault. So I'm just. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we are on social media, but you can look us up as Between the Veils or Between the Veils Organization or Between the Veils Con. Those are two different Facebook pages, but they serve the same purpose. So you should add both. We are on Instagram, Between the Veils. There are other organizations and conferences and just things called Between the Veils, but we are Between the Veils Con or Between the Veils Org. We are an actual nonprofit. We got our nonprofit status a couple of months ago, which is a lot of work. I don't recommend anybody becoming a nonprofit. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. Got it. (laughs) <laughs> I've seen a lot of the paperwork and a lot of the hoops that need to be jumped through for that type of stuff. It is annoying, but in some cases it can be worth it. It can be. If that's like really your calling that you need to, you know, start a nonprofit, we had to start a nonprofit and that was really important for us. But oh boy, is that a mm. lot of work that is very unfun. I understand. <laughs> so that is where you can find us. Our website also has a lot of great information about us, who we are, our bios. So if you were like, who is this person? You can find me on there. One of the things that I've talked a lot about cultural appropriation, I've talked a little bit about consent. Really quickly, I wanted to talk about our community guidelines or our community agreements, excuse me. This is really important for us. I wrote them with one of the Between the Veils founders, Sofia Rosales. We wrote these because... They are part of our sacred writings when we come together. They are how we agree to be with one another and how we agree to uphold these standards as an organization. So they include consent is a really big one. Consent in terms of not just who and how and why and when and where to touch a person, but it also includes how we consent to being in ritual spaces with each other, how we consent to being skyclad, if that's something that you are running a ritual and you choose to do that. If somebody consents to being skyclad and then at some point, for some reason, they feel uncomfortable and they want to put on clothes, you have to respect that. That's how consent works. And this also comes mm-hmm. down to spiritual consent, how we consent to you know, being moved by the divine or how we consent or the gods consent to you know, embodying us uh, and working with us. Uh, Other ones include being um, that we are radically inclusive of, as I have said before, and I'm going to say again, of marginalized people, queer people, people of different bodies, ableism, trans folks, like the list goes on. We actually have a very comprehensive list that I'm sure we've also missed people. But, you know, this is a journey that we're all in together and we want to make sure that we haven't left anybody out. We want to make sure that everybody remains accountable to each other. And this includes things like we hear the very nice and well-meaning phrase, assume good intention all the time. We do not do that. We don't make assumptions. Assuming good intention 
has a way of breaking down consent and supporting white supremacy in a way that many folks don't really think about. So we are trying to have these conversations up front in those community agreements. If you come to one of our events, you are going to see and agree to the community agreements at least three times minimum. Every time you logged into the Zoom at the conference, you also had to agree to the community agreements every time. They're a really big deal for us. Good. It's definitely seems like it's going to be the backbone of this conference. And it's definitely something that I know I know I'm going to be looking over with a fine tooth comb to make sure that I don't do anything bad. (laughs) Well, it's just this understanding that this is what we're doing here. And you walk in and it's an open communication. This is what is expected of you as far as behavior goes and meet it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of volunteer opportunities are you hoping to fill or looking for people for communication there? Well, we went over how to get in touch with you, but is there something that you, you have a call to action you need? Yeah, absolutely. So we are looking for board members. Uh, we would love to have some more board members. We are looking for people of color to sit on our POC advisory committee. We also are opening up an advisory committee for just the conference itself. If you are somebody who has some experience in running conferences, we are super open to having you share with us and be a voice for us and with us. We have our Between the Veils advisory committee for anybody who wants to be on of any identities to give us some uh, voice and to share knowledge, experience, information if you are somebody who like really wants to present at our next conference, also nice thing about our conference, we do pay our presenters. We do our absolute best to make sure that everybody is taken care of. So we pay our presenters, we do pay staff members, and we are going to still be having volunteers on the ground at the event itself. But volunteers are going to be We're going to try to have some compensation in some way, including support with getting a hotel room, other kind of swag that people could be getting. So there's all sorts of things that we we have to offer. Um, You could email betweentheveilscon at gmail.com and let us know. We We are going to, I don't have... We're cleaning up our Get Involved form, but if you check us out on Facebook, we're going to be posting links to that. Or if you email us, well, we can get we can get in touch with you with our get involved form and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you want to be involved and what you think you can bring to this community. What's really important about Between the Veils is I believe that it is supposed to be a community run organization. It is meant to serve the community. Nobody is making money. Nobody's making money except for our presenters, they're getting paid. And Mm -hmm. some of our staff members are getting paid. But board members are not making any money right now. We're not flush with cash. We are trying to support the community as much as possible. You know, we're not in this, I'm not in this to like, become a famous magician. That's not my jam. I'm in this to support us and to make us a better organization. And with that mindset, it's going to become one of the biggest things ever. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, we can talk from experience. You know, we started this small podcast and Autumn had a beautiful idea of just becoming a voice for the voiceless. And 
it's grown into such an awesome, uh, awesome podcast. I'm proud to be a part of, and we get to meet awesome people like you that are doing nothing but trying to help the community. That's what I'm here for. Thank you. Um, Also, I love your podcast. Mm. Yay. (laughs) So we are obviously super excited to be able to come and check out the live event. We also would love to have you back or somebody else from the organization closer to remind our listeners, hey, this thing's happening. Go (laughs) be involved. Do it. But Jara, how do they find you or our listeners? Of course. Uh, Of course. You can always uh, always look up look me up on uh, Instagram at Haggard underscore Haggard underscore cosplay, and then on my TikTok AZ underscore Silent underscore Bob. I uh, have a lot of a lot of fun stuff and a lot of great arguments that I have with people on there. <laughs> and of course, you know, on my Twitter at Jarrah Stone. And then Autumn, what what do you got going on? Well, let's see. I have my own Twitter and Facebook at Autumn Wolf. We also have the blog um that is iron wolf circle and then of course you can find millennial pagan podcast on facebook and instagram where i handle the instagram because i can't have more than three social medias at once and of course our own twitter and you can email millennial pagan podcast at millennial pagan pod at gmail.com and I do want to say just a big thank you to all of our supporters, all of our Patreons that have been helping us out through this awesome journey. And to everybody out there, happy Pride Month. Uh, <laughs> to all of our friends of the LGBTQ plus community, thank you so much just for living your best life and being out there. And just know that there are allies out there that are fighting for you and fighting with you. And uh, from all of us here at Millennial Pagan Podcast, Mary Meet. Mary Part. And Mary, and Mary Meet, meet again. again. We got to figure out a better way to do this.